We all like to get paid for what we do, right? I mean, being financially compensated for our jobs is the primary reason why a lot of us are working instead of sitting around the couch itching our collective cooter or watching TV and playing video games. That pay should probably be able to afford things, right? I mean, in order to make it worth it for us and protect us from shitty employers trying to pull a shitter move? Well, say hello to minimum wage, a system meant to make sure we have enough money to survive and build our lives. Except, we can't. With the increased cost of living and wage stagnation, minimum wage just isn't enough anymore. So what do we do about it? And who do we blame? All of this and more on this episode of Why Aren't You Talking About This? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Why Are You Talking About This? I am your host, William, and I'll be your average American wage earner host today, telling you all about minimum wage. And that's a reference you won't understand until later, but is also not me trying to flex. I live at home, and I'm still broke as shit. But, as always, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me to know that somewhere in the world my voice is playing in a part of the world that doesn't know the curse of my existence. But that being said, make sure to remember to send in stuff for episode 20. That is three episodes away at this point. Uh, unless you want to count this one, in which case, I mean, you can count, so figure it out yourself. Also, make sure to download, stream, like, share, review, and all the other podcast shit to spread my show like a bad SCD that my hypochondriac brain tells me I have every five seconds of every day. Living in this brain is a constant nightmare that I cannot escape, and I fucking love it because I'm a masochist and want to see how far I can take it before my brain falls out my asshole. Anyways, I'm also thinking about things to do after episode 20 to expand the show a bit, so if you have suggestions, make sure to send that in too. Alright, on to the show. Alright, so we're talking about minimum wage today. And be warned, this is going to be another episode where you're going to hear white man getting unbelievably angry, so that's your that's your warning. And I don't mean like the feminism, gender, and drugs angry. I mean like the medical debt and poverty angry. Like the angry that scares me. Shut the fuck up, phone. I'm trying to record. I'm kidding, I love you. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's actually talk terms. Whew. I... I, I cut out the part where I almost uh, died coughing, but holy shit, that paragraph was hard to get through for a few a few reasons. My God. Anyways, so minimum wage is the lowest payment an employer is required to give their workers over a selected period. Usually format usually formatted as a salary like thirty thousand dollars a year, or hourly like fourteen dollars an hour. 
But I mean, I guess you could format it however you want. Like if your employer pays you 23 cents a minute or, you know, a fifth of a cent per second. And uh, yeah, that's how much your time is worth, by the way. If you did the hyper-capitalist math on that, you're worth $1.96 million total. Uh, that's assuming you sell your corpse and also 47 years of your life to work. Depressing, huh? But anyways, speaking of depressing, I also wanted to touch on another term that gets tossed around a bit that's not really going to be heavily covered in this episode, but I get yelled at for mentioning, and it's also kind of like the the like backing reason why uh, minimum wage is so low. That being wage slavery. This is also called starvation wages, where essentially the employee is either paid in company script or just enough money to be trapped in their contract. Now, wage slavery has been tossed around quite a bit recently, but it's actually a very, very old concept. Much older than even the Industrial Revolution. But the philosophical stuff behind it is that essentially, by paying such low wages, the capital owners are essentially reinventing slavery, just with extra steps. Because you don't actually have a choice in the matter, you're just stuck in the occupation you have because the job is literally only enough to make sure you can get to work tomorrow. And a lot of people, me included, hate this. And on a personal level, because I hate feeling trapped in any way unless it's in a sexual way, and this causes so much instant rage, it's like saying the word micropenis around any man with a lifted pickup. But also, on a societal level, I hate it because, like, holy fuck, is this both a stupid idea on the employer, but it's also unnecessarily cruel. Like, most people just don't just leave a job because they shrug and go, well, I haven't had immense anxiety about surviving in a while, and also really like to get told I'm a worthless piece of shit during an interview, and then quit. You don't have to trap people in their jobs. Finding a job is a fucking nightmare, and it rocks your self-confidence. People are not lining up to do that. <clears throat> but, why does minimum wage exist? Well, not only to provide some protection from wage slavery, but also to ensure that workers gain any share of the fruits of their labor and actual spendable money. It also establishes the floor of wages overall, or in other words, allows for other positions and occupations that deserve to be paid more to fight for that pay increase, giving everyone an assurance of being able to afford something so they can fight for their own rights and pursue something resembling a standard of living and prosperity. So you basically set the minimum standard of life for someone who works. Now, you can also set an increase in minimum wage to decrease poverty and drive economic action, because as we've talked about before, the poor spend money when you give it to them. And again, as we've discussed before, mostly unnecessary things like food and housing. My entire floor rumbled, and I hope that was my phone. What the fuck? Also, it's on the phone right now because the charger is, like, the charging prong is broken. And the only charge has been sitting on the floor. Sorry, I might have ADD. Anyways, uh, anyways, um, essentially, minimum wage prevents the rich and business owners from ruining the economy and causing a massive economic collapse by hoarding all the money and paying employees an unsurvivably low or non-existent wage. So then, 
this is a way to ensure people have the money to survive and also gives all of us increased pay, why aren't we doing that? Well, besides the fact that the rich control everything, it would help to look at what makes it effective in the first place. Firstly, it has to have a certain level of coverage for life's many, many, many expenses. So you have to ask how much the minimum wage protects workers from things like unexpected expenses and also helps them to maintain a certain level of living comfortably. This allows the worker to protect things like their work-life balance, rights both legal and human, and the ability to advocate for themselves and their co-workers. And I think we both immediately see the problem here. That sounds like unionization, which to Daddy Sam sounds like communism. And to Amazon, that sounds like not being the biggest bag of severed baby dicks around. And we know how much they both respectively hate those things. You know, America hates communism, Amazon hates not being cunts. But also, you need to look at the level to which the minimum wage covers the needs of workers and their families. I mean, does it pay for groceries and bills? Does it pay rent? Does it pay for transportation and clothes? What doesn't it cover? Are there vital things that the minimum wage in your area won't cover? Because if the answer is no, you might as well make the minimum wage section of your legal code just a big text art of the phrase, get fucked, nerd, in the shape of a middle finger. Oh, which, looking at the American legal code real quick, yep, that's exactly what it is. And finally, most arguably most important, is compliance. Do companies and employers actually comply with minimum wage regulations? And if not, what's the punishment? And assuming they do, how do you make sure, and what's the way to make sure that they continue to? And again, holy shit, are there a lot of ways around this in the U.S.? You know, like the whole concept of a tip profession, which is a way to take advantage of employees and guilt customers and doing something that should be your own goddamn job as the person employing them. Hey, if you have a tip profession, play this next part for them. <clears throat> Second. Hi there. You probably don't know me, but I'm a voice on the internet with a lot of gripes. One of them is that you pay people further below minimum wage than I would dick is deep in your wife. Fuck your mother and pay these people what they goddamn deserve. Okay, anyways, what's even the benefits of fixing minimum wage and getting it back to its intended purpose? And, I mean, what are some of the downsides of that? Because while I am a filthy fucking leftist, I recognize that everything has both good and bad consequences. So, it's probably important to know what those are going into it. So, on the benefits side, the first one is that we'd increase standard of living. If you make minimum wage $15 an hour nationally, then 1.3 million people would suddenly be over the poverty line. Another 17 million would see massive increases in their standard of living. But on the negative side, a lot of businesses would compensate, either to maintain a consistently skyrocketing profit margin because we live in the end days of capitalism and the reckoning is coming, or to keep the doors open, which is actually rarer than you think. Which then would skyrocket inflation because we're a fiat currency. You know, we have the brick on the gas of a 2005 Ford Taurus going downhill towards a cliff with the brake surgically removed. Okay, but counterpoint, 
It would make people feel more hopeful and in control of their lives, even if they actually aren't. And in addition to helping businesses, because happy people are more compliant rule followers and are better customers that spend more overall, it's also good from a moral perspective, because holy fuck, just being good to people is treated like it's irrelevant in policy choices. Stop doing that. Sometimes it's okay that you want to make a policy just because it would make people happier. We're fucking human beings. It's okay to do that. We're not logical creatures. Sometimes it's fine. Just do the thing that makes people happy. Jesus Christ. Okay. But people being happier, more hopeful, and more in control of their lives is good. And that also helps them advocate for themselves. Okay. But, again, there's some bad here. Because an increased minimum wage would also decrease, would also increase operational expenses. Not just of private businesses, but the government too. Since everyone would want to raise to keep the same general wage trafficking. Which would also probably hike up the cost of living, because also our four horses on fire and actively leaking gas in the AC that we can't turn off, but it's also just blowing warm air. Or, a bunch of companies would shift people's hours to part-time to make sure they can't survive again, because it's really starting to feel like corporate America is a sadistic cannibal we put in charge of the children with the most tender meat. Or, they just fire a bunch of people because Lola Mao said Walmart, as if fires a poor mother of three, struggling to make ends meet while working four different part-time jobs at the same store because it's the only place she can afford to work, and that executives needs another fucking raise. Okay. And related to the last pro... Oh my god. Sorry, my heart rate just jumped. Oh, that makes me so fucking angry thinking about... Okay. Okay, and the last pro... And... Not really addressing that previous point uh, is that raising the minimum wage would improve both citizen and employee morale. Because it feels like Papa actually loves them and is looking out for them, despite the fact that deep down they know that that isn't true. Because, I mean, hey, more money is pretty sweet, and minimum wage is one of those things where when that increases, people think, people tend to think that things are going well, even when they're not. However, Something that would not help morale are the people working currently high-paying jobs to declare an inquisition whenever someone says a word that sounds vaguely like a union, even when they aren't at work. Because if you work for a construction company that pays 20 bucks an hour and minimum wage is 7 you're making really good money even without a union. But the minimum wage increases and the company goes, Haha, that's funny. Anyways, no raise. Then you're kind of fucked. Because you're doing the same thing, but cost of living goes up. And you can't do anything about it without getting fired because there's no union. Which means, hey, easy solution. Uh, either start a union or don't work for companies that don't have a union. I mean, if you have a choice, obviously, but you know, a lot of people don't have choice in the matter. But again, if you have a choice, don't work for a company that doesn't have a union. Uh, but regardless, increasing minimum wage, and I say that I, I work for a company that doesn't have a union, but like, holy shit, they are, like, they, they actively look out for you. It, I'm a little, 
eh, I'm a little eh about it, because, eh, but anyways. Uh, regardless, increasing minimum wage is going to increase economic growth and action. Because by definition, there's more money in circulation, because more of the brokies and semi-brokies can, you know, afford rent and food this month. And again, because our burning, gas-spewing, uncomfortably warm, and rapidly moving towards a cliff for tourists is also aimed for an orphanage. However, final counterpoint, this will increase competition for jobs that don't deserve it. Because about half of all companies exist only through sheer dumb luck and a blistering amount of money, when they inevitably realize, oh, fuck, we fired those people and we kind of need them, and post-jobs, there's going to be a lot of competition for a living wage. Meaning, they have their pick of applicants. And this isn't like a well-paying job with healthcare, union, and pension. This is a minimum wage, part-time door duty job with zero benefits that will dock your pay for shoplift for shoplifters at the local Arkansas Walmart, having people clamor for it like it's the last oxygen tank in a sinking ship. But with that, let's go to the history. Okay, and we start way back in 3500 BC, where we see the first written records of wage agreements, which wasn't really in currency yet, but was instead in things like commodities, food, grain, clothing, and shelter. For example, at some point in ancient Egypt, it was common to pay workers in bread and beer. But not like modern beer, it was like the old sloshy, pulpy beer that's basically liquid bread. And these wage agreements were fairly common, including some of these found not only in workshops across Mesopotamia, but also being found at the campsites of the pyramid builders. And by 2334, yes, very specific, but this is the closest evidence that we have, common Mesopotamian standards of measurement begin to be used by artisan and craftsman guilds to measure currency. And this would include things like shekels and gera. And a shekel is representative of 11 grams, and a gera is 1 20th of a shekel. And if you want to know how much a shekel is in today's currency, it's about 174 fucking dollars USD. Insane, isn't it? But with that, let's look at some more context. So the Hammurabi Code states the following pay guidelines. So you get a two-shekel hourly wage for every 300 bushel vessel created by a shipbuilder. I mean, how big is that? Well, that's a boat that's about 18,000 pounds, which means that you are getting paid $348 for building, like, a 12-foot boat. And that's, like, per hour. Just a really good deal. And you also get a three gara per day for chartering your boat, or, you know, about $26 a day, or two and a half gara, $22 a day, for shipping goods aboard your boat which does sound pretty low, but keep in mind that the economy was smaller back then. And I was going to, like, look up, like, the price of bread and, like, the price of water and shit and, like, use that to... But no, no, I'm not going to... You you can figure it out on your own. You're smart. I believe in you. But anyways, by 600 BC, currency begins to proliferate more. 
uh, with the first gold coins being the Lydian Lions, made of electrum, a blend of gold and silver. In ancient Greece and Rome, they used both wage and barter systems. However, they both kept detailed logs of both their employees and wages. Because, you know, they were really fucking anal about their list. Pun intended. And this is also the beginning of the concept of wage slavery. Yes, this is how old it is. And from the time it was first conceptualized, it has been hotly debated between scholars. And it continues to be, except nowadays it's less about, like, the philosophy of it and more about protecting corporations. Um, but we're going to move on to the Middle Ages because, you know, this is a kind of short timeline and it's hyper-focused. So during the Middle Ages, we have guilds that act as a combination between a union and a localized business monopoly. And because of that, they play a huge role in consistent pay. Basically, groups of craftsmen would get together and form an alliance to control all the business in the area and ensure a quality standard and standard working conditions. And there were a ton of these. From, like, Armorer and Fletcher guilds, which you'd see in a lot of fantasy, to, like, soap and beer guilds. But with their power controlling, basically, you know, all of the economy they were able to enforce that all members of the guild get compensation and also certain protections or immunities. You know, like an immunity from taxes, because, you know, some things never change. However, this still isn't the beginning of official minimum wage. Since this time period in four still had wages, money was used a lot less than other things like barter, and wages were more based on production rather than actual labor. And that changes with the Industrial Revolution, and very quickly... Uh, something else changes, and that would be in 1894 in New Zealand, which is the first place to enact minimum wage laws during the Industrial Revolution. However, this doesn't really enforce a national minimum wage or an exact number. Instead, it gives employees the power to discuss and negotiate their pay and gives them a pathway to arbitrations if they couldn't agree on terms with their employer. And two years later, Victoria, Australia, amends their Factories and Shops Act to create boards of wages, which, as the name implies, sets the wages for the industry they're bored over. And initially, this was experimental, but it was so popular with both workers and employees that it became permanent by 1904. And in 1902, New South Wales and Western Australia also introduced their own wage boards. In 1907... Australia makes something called the Harvester Decision, which creates the living wage of Australia with the, with the requirement being, quote, enough for a man, wife, and three children to live in frugal comfort. Which, I mean, I gotta say, I know that you need to be kind of specific for laws, but saying frugal comfort makes it sound like they're saying, all right, cool your jets, Brokey, just stay in your lane. And two years later in the UK, Winston Churchill introduces the Trade Boards Act, or, I mean, I should say champions, since very rarely do a lot of people in power sit down to write the actual laws, but this sets the minimum wage in underpaid industries that have high numbers of women and children working in them. Yes, because this is the era of child labor, if you forgot. But these included chain-making, ready-dress making, paper-box-making, paper and machine-made lights. In 1912, coal mining is added to the list, and the next year, hollowware making, shirt making, sugar confectionery, 
food preservation, tin box making, linen and cotton embroidery, and parts of the laundry industry are added. So, and basically all the things that you don't think about being industries until you need them, and also coal mining, the number one example of the worst jobs to ever exist. But in 1917 and 1918, the Joint Industry Councils are established in the UK at the end of World War I to bring together unions and employers to discuss wages, working conditions, job security, training, and benefits. Which, I'm sure, was not a contentious meeting at all. Especially after one of the biggest bloodbaths in human history during a period of time where anti-union action was done with bolt-action rifles and not checkbooks. But, I mean, it seems like it kind of worked. Or mostly worked. I'm not entirely sure. But, however, this wouldn't really be enough to keep people alive, especially in rural areas. So, in 1924, farm workers begin to receive a minimum wage as well. And, again, leaving the Second World War, the UK being absolutely motherfucked and everyone being poor, the government actually starts to back off from the minimum wage. I mean, part of this was concerns for businesses being able to afford it again, since, again, everyone within ten piddly-tiddlies of London got their nuts tapped by the Luftwaffe. Basically, it was a concern that people wouldn't be able to get a job, since companies wouldn't want to risk going out of business. So what did they do instead? They introduced family allowances, which was a social security resource available for families in poverty to receive money and food. So, basically, the UK supplemented your shitty wages by giving you financial support, which really formed the basis for how the UK thinks of minimum wage nowadays. But to finish up with the world part of the timeline, let's talk about when some of our closest friends and allies introduced their minimum wages. All across Latin America, from Mexico to Chile, they introduced various minimum wages in the 1960s. Well, at least the the ones that like us. And why is that? Well, because the U.S.'s and Latin America's relationship had greatly improved in the 1960s. I mean, mostly, besides all the Cold War shit happening and us hating their poor people for trying to escape the system of colonialism we put them under, but psh, that's, that's small stuff. That was a joke. That's very major stuff. There were a lot of... Uh, political assassinations and coups and uh, counter-revolutionaries and shit that the U.S. sponsored um, because they were afraid of communism that ended up uh, wrecking Latin America and turning it into what it is today. Anyways, uh, they established their minimum wages to make trade with the U.S. easier. Basically, by having minimum wages, they create a universal baseline for costs and baseline costs for goods and services traded with the United States, making the trade both easier and more profitable. And also, because of our intervention, some of the Latin American nations had real unstable currencies, and now they wanted to ship labor to them. They needed to they needed to be stabilized a bit. But anyways, in 1998, the UK sets minimum wage to Oh, boy. I should have looked up what their equivalent of cents was. It's three pounds and something cents. Cents. Pence. Uh, to three pounds and sixty pence per hour, while the national 
while the National Minimum Wage Act in Australia establishes a federal minimum wage in 2005. Sorry, I had to look that up live. Okay, and now we're going to go to the U.S. part of the timeline. It is painfully short. So we start in 1912. Massachusetts sets the minimum wage for women and children. Because, again, this is the era of child labor and also open misogyny. 24 years later, in 1936, statutory minimum wage, a.k.a. required minimum wage, is introduced by FDR to help recover from the Great Depression. Why? Well, because, as we mentioned earlier, minimum wage establishes a floor for worker lifestyle. And when your economy is doing that thing that your girlfriend does to me, i.e. goes down and gets Facebook, you need to put something in place to catch its fall. And the easiest way to do that is to enforce a minimum wage. He also goes about establishing social safety nets. And what he set it to? 25 cents per hour, with a buying power of $5.42. But this increased over the years until the 1968 minimum wage reaches its peak buying power, but was $1.60 an hour, which has the equivalent buying power of $14.06 an hour today. And this buying power then decreased through the 70s and 80s as the people the most directly benefited from the 1950s and 60s white picket fence lifestyle pulled the ladder up after them and reduced the buying power of the dollar until you hit 2009, when the minimum wage is set at $7.25. But, I mean, that's basically it for the overview of it. I mean, minimum wage act, I mean, minimum wage acts hit the Congress in 2017 and 2021 to increase the minimum wage to $15 per hour, which would bring it above the buying power of the 1960s. But both have died in Congress. But that's all we're going to cover for the history section, so let's go to the modern era. Okay, so before we get to the big problem with minimum wage we're all thinking about, let's look at some juicy, juicy data. So the International Labor Organization member countries, of which, of which 186 of the 195 nations in the world are members, 92% of them have a minimum wage. 115 have government orders and decrees for minimum wage. 17 have statutes establishing minimum wage. 15 use minimum wage boards. And another 15 use national collective bargaining agreements. Six of them set minimum wage subnationally, which is decided within administrative districts. And 29 of the member states have no minimum wage at all. And of these states, 80 of them have minimum wage that is explicitly required to revisit the pay rate periodically, basically to keep it in line with inflation. Another 50 don't explicitly have the requirements, but the point two of these aren't necessarily lacking in the ability to revisit these wages, they just don't have to. However, the U.S. is one of the 28 countries with absolutely zero requirement to address minimum wage increases, meaning it's entirely dependent on the U.S. government to take it in their own hands to increase. Which, uh, you know, if you know the U.S., this is what we'd call a bad thing. Uh, now, also, the U.S. is much more complicated than the other countries. Because 145 countries' minimum wage is exclusively determined by the national government. But here in the good old U.S. fucking A, that's not true. Here we have a federal minimum wage, but you don't have to follow that, and states can set their own minimum wage. 
while this technically can't go below federal minimum wage, you can absolutely get away with it if you're sneaky about it. You know, like introducing tipped profession minimum wages. Also, 48% of countries with a minimum wage has a single minimum wage. Other countries have multiple. Uh, 38 nations depend on sector industry. 22 of them are a mixed system, uh, which is basically like there's just different reasons why different minimum wages exist. Uh, 18 of them are based on occupation, skill, or age. 10 based on re region. And 2 based it on your nationality, which... I found one of those two, and it's Saudi Arabia, because they have a, uh, what's called a Saudiization campaign, where they're trying to uh, make Saudi Arabia more Saudi Arabian. Um, so your minimum wage is higher if you are from Saudi Arabia. Which, that's, that's, a, that's a little, uh, whew, that's a little racy. But uh, let's look deeper at the U.S., Firstly, 40% of all workers make minimum wage, $7.25 an hour, and in 21 states. And all other states use higher wages. Uh, and those states that use $7.25 are Alabama, Georgia, with some exceptions for $5.15, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Hampshire, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Now, something you'll notice is that these states are mostly conservative, yes, but there's actually a few traditionally uh, leftist states in there. But Arkansas has a minimum wage unless you have more than four employees, in which case minimum wage is $11 an hour, and West Virginia pays $8.75 an hour if you have more than six employees. So those are two, like, well-known conservative states that actually, like, pay pretty good minimum wage. Uh, states that pay more than 725 and less than 10 are Minnesota, Montana, Guam, and Puerto Rico. And yes, I'm including territories because fuck you, they deserve statehood. States with $10 an hour pay are Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Delaware, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Missouri, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Vermont, Virginia, and the Virgin Islands. Um, and that's $10 or more. So, uh, But finally, the ones with over $15 an hour minimum wages are California, Connecticut, the District of Columbia, Massachusetts, New York City, Portland, Oregon, and Washington State, which has the highest at $15.74 an hour. Now, compared to all the other brackets that have a mix of politics, these are all uh, leftist states. And I'm not really trying to make a bigger point about that, really just, just kind of a neat fact. Um, also, I mean, like, Obviously, there's a point to be made there, but look, it's fucking obvious. Okay, so now let's take a look at what the actual demographics are of people who work minimum wage. Because sure, we know what it is, but we know basically nothing about the actual people. Well, first of all, more than half are part-time workers, giving them even less money per month. About the same number live in the South, with four out of five states with the most minimum wage workers being Southern. 
Most also don't have a college education, and 67% identify as women. And most of them don't receive any employer-paid benefits. 70% work in the service industry, you know, fast food, retail and hotel, home and child care, and 5.7 million receive Medicaid and 4.7 million receive SNAP and work at least 50 hours a week. So when you combine all this, the average minimum wage worker is a Southern woman without a college education working part-time at fast food joints, you know, being 96% of all minimum wage service jobs, receiving both Medicaid and SNAP because their employers are leeching off the system. See, you fuck someone to blame the poor. The real, re the real leeches are the companies that only hire part-time and rely on the government to make sure their employees eat and keep coming back to work. Speaking of which, let's look at these little fucking parasites. While you might think that minimum wage is mostly paid by mom and pop shops that can't afford to pay more, that actually isn't true. 66% of all minimum wage workers are employed by large corporations mostly being food service, accommodations, retail, arts, recreation, and entertainment, and administration. Out of the 50 companies with the lowest wages, 92% of them made a profit and usually provide lower quality and smaller benefit packages to their employees. So it's not even really hurting them. Especially when we consider that while the poor southern woman is working 50 hours a week on part-time jobs, meaning she's working at least two, the average executive is making $9.4 million per year, and the average CEO pay grew 1,322% from 1978 to 2019 for a position that, let's be honest, doesn't do a whole lot, compared to workers' pay growing 18%. Now, besides being ghastly and also entirely dismissing the entire argument that minimum wages intend to keep small businesses open since... Clearly, it's a large corporation's benefiting. There's another way to look at this. Because if you don't care about human lives and are a Sigma male, valuable breeding stock for your trad wife, temporarily embarrassed millionaire that cares only about profit in the economy, or you're a uh, certain facts and logic pundit, this is very bad for the economy. Why? Well, because, I mean, for a fact, we know trickle-down economics doesn't exist. We've literally been doing that since the 80s. But when you flood the system with more money, what happens? That's right, you Econ 101 piece of shit. It devalues the money. But the people who spend that money aren't getting any of it. It's the people that hoard it that are. So the money is losing value, but no one is able to spend more of it. So the buying power of the dollar is rapidly decaying. And this is bad for you because you don't want your trad wife out in public and touching grass because she has to work, realizing that feminism exists for a reason and leaves you for a man that wants her to pay him. And also makes it a lot harder for you to get your millions of dollars. Also, if you're a recovered trad wife, uh, you can call me. My phone number is... So, to recap, minimum wage workers are mostly uneducated, working in service industry fields for part-time labor, and are largely women, due in large part because they're sexism into working in the service industry, leaning on the government to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads, while the companies they work for are making money hand over fist, paying their CEOs and executives extraordinarily high wages. And we live in a dystopian Pluto-capitalist nightmare without the benefits of enough lawlessness to go cyberpunk and roll around like a bunch of spiky-haired badasses with more pills in their system than a pharmacy and more guns in Idaho and with a god complex.
But let's get to the big issue. Minimum wage is entirely unsurvivable. And if you agree, good for you. You understand how to do math and have also seen the prices for things instead of just closing your eyes at checkout and hoping the funny little plastic card makes the good boop-boop noise and not the bad boop-boop noise. And if you disagree, first of all, you should know how much is in your bank. Those cards aren't magic. But also, let's, let's do a little hypothetical for you, okay? So assume you have one child and live alone. A living wage in the most and least expensive place in the U.S. would be $26.74 an hour in Mississippi and the $39.41 an hour in Washington, D.C., which means in Mississippi, you'd need to work 3.6 full-time jobs for a living wage, and in D.C., you'd need to work 2.3 full-time jobs, which works out to 144 hours or 92 hours per week. And given the week has a total of 168 hours that you need to sleep a minimum of 42 hours a week to even begin to rest, your life is essentially at work and whatever little sleep you can get with a child. And now you might be saying, oh, well, just don't have kids, dummy. And like, yeah, we're fucking trying, but the motherfuckers you voted in keep reducing contraceptive care options and illegalizing abortion. And if your argument is just don't have sex, then clearly this is never going to be an issue for you because finding someone who wants to fuck you is going to be harder than my corpse will be to decay with all these fucking microplastics in my bloodstream. Also, I apologize for the background noise. My neighbor is uh, mowing the yard. He he fucking loves mowing the yard and he doesn't have a very big one. So if he also mows our lawn. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh... Okay, but fine. If you want to be like that, if you're single, the cost of living in D.C., because everyone in Mississippi either has a kid or is making child support payments, is $20.49, or 1.2 jobs, or 48 hours a week. We uh, we very much appreciate him mowing the lawn, but let me tell you, there there's moments where it's poorly timed, like when I'm uh, trying to record. But, look. If you came here for perfectly clean, perfect audio, you clearly have not listened to, like, the first, like, eight episodes. Okay. Uh, however, for both of these, this doesn't take unpaid leave into account, which means that for 52 weeks you can't get sick, have an emergency or an injury, take a vacation, have unpaid holidays or long weekends, or save money. And this is all going directly into things you need to pay for. This also means no eating out, no gifts, no subscription, no internet or education. So basically, you need to work 52 weeks a year without experiencing anything that, oh, I don't know, fucking humans experience. But one of the fucked up things, if minimum wage had kept up with inflation since 1968, we'd be reaching $10.45 an hour in 2019. Or if it kept up or if it kept up with worker productivity and economic value of things across the country, then be $26 an hour with basically the same economy. Why? Because it would have been gradual enough that these corporate motherfuckers wouldn't have noticed. Meaning that you could be making enough money to live an actual fucking life, and I would have thousands of dollars saved up and ready for my student loan debt payments. Or I might not even have them in the first place. But the problem is that it's far too late to make a quick repair because it would cause an economic shock 
And also, those froggy fucks would hop out of the pot before it boils. So our best bet now is to make a gradual shift and hope they don't notice. But they probably fucking will because the minimum wage isn't tied to their profit margins. Oh, and also, wages in 2021 fell 1.8% on average, with the poorest Americans experiencing a 2.1% reduction. Why? COVID, and also, fuck you, that's why. But now let's break down how fucked everyone is, because let me tell you, we absolutely are, and it's been in my brain for six goddamn years. So let's begin with housing. Most people are unable to afford housing anywhere in the U.S. using minimum wage, and, also importantly, most people rent. So the average renter makes $18.78 an hour, which is very close to my wage, and by the estimates of economics experts, you should only be spending about 30% of your income on housing, meaning you should be paying more than $844.50 a month on rent. And looking at the local rent prices in my area, it's, yep, $1,300 a month. In a, rural era, in a rural area of Oregon, that catches on fire a lot in floods. <sighs> oh, and also had a tornado a few times. Uh, but in the U.S., on average, you'd have to work 53 hours a week to afford a two-bedroom apartment, and that's split between two people. And if you're a single worker, you need to make $20.40 an hour at least for a one-bedroom rental. Speaking of which, as of June 2021, the price for food for a family of four was $835.57 a month, for the lowest cost food that was still healthy by government estimates, which is what they use to determine SNAP, by the way. And if you go off that estimate, then you'd be spending two-thirds of your paycheck on not even half of your living expenses, assuming you're the only worker and you're making minimum wage. But you're probably not going to be able to for long because grocery prices rose 4.3% between 2021 and 2022, meaning that that stayed consistent then you'd be paying $907.42 a month for a family of four. Meaning, even if everything was in line correctly, you know, like your rent actually only being 30% of your wages, then you'd be spending almost $1,800 a month while making like three k a month working a full-time job before taxes. But just to extra fuck you, we have healthcare with a steel chair. Workers pay on average $1,242 per year for single coverage or $6,015 for family coverage. And even if you get proper coverage from your company, you still pay some amount of the premiums. And this breaks down to between $100 and $500 per month. So now your monthly expenses for everything you need to exist is $1,900 to $2,400 a month, assuming you work for 52 weeks a year without time off, never need to fix anything around your place, and also assuming that you work 40 hours per week every week. And this doesn't include gas, clothes, entertainment, which you do actually need to survive, by the way, because we're animals with big brains and we need to be entertained, so fuck you if you think that we don't, because you're a goddamn asshole that thinks that poor people don't deserve nice things. You can get fucked. Uh, drugs to cope with this absolute shit fest, phone plans, the internet, or anything else that you need to buy or have access to because very quickly everything is being put on the goddamn internet so you need to have an internet connection to exist in the world 
And again, this is gross pay. If 30% of your pay is removed from taxes, you suddenly don't have enough money to survive month to month with the things you just absolutely need, like food and shelter. And finally, we have child care. The lowest child care cost per year is $18,422 on average. And assuming it's two adults working minimum wage with a kid, they probably combined make around 30k a year net. Meaning two-thirds of their entire year of their entire yearly pay is going towards child care. So because of this, they usually don't pay for it. Which leaves what options? After school programs if it's available, and in most schools it's not available, because guess what they don't have? A fucking funding. Their kid being home alone, which is how you get people like me, by the way, or by leaning on friends and family that either aren't working or can't work, or one of them has to stay home. And again, this assumes that there's resources available, which there often isn't. So again, to summarize, where we're at now, minimum wage isn't livable. That is just a fucking fact. And if you disagree with me, shut the fuck up and live on minimum wage. You dumb motherfucker. People on it are making literally just enough money to have something vaguely to lose so the people paying them garbage can abuse them even more than they already are because, hey, would you rather lose your job and become homeless and then have fucking rich, entitled, suburban white people call the cops on you and have the police fucking break up your camp every two goddamn days? And if you do this kind of shit... If you pay, if your employer paying your workers this, get fucked with a rusty pipe and I hope you have to wait so long in the hospital you get tetanus and your goddamn bones break themselves. Fuck you. Okay. Deep breath. Deep breath. Deep breath. I, I fucking warned you. I warned you I was going to get angry. Okay. Let's go to the opinions. Okay, so we're not really going to talk solutions this week, because if I need to spell it out for you, holy fuck do I feel bad for your parents having to let you drive their car to junior high. Let's begin by asking who supports minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, 62% of Americans favor it with 54% of that group saying that we should be prioritizing an increase even if it isn't to $15 an hour, and 43% says it needs to increase to $15 even if it's not immediate. And 3% spit in the researchers' face and told them to get fucked, which the researchers gladly obliged. Uh, 38%, however, oppose it, with 71% wanting an increase, but not $15, while 27% wanted to stay where it's at. And assumedly, the last 1% cried and screamed and pissed and shat and came because of the thought of the richest people on the goddamn planet not being able to abuse them was too much for them to handle, and they broke. Now, this doesn't tell us too much, but what it does do is give us an insight into the demographic. Now, this doesn't tell us too much, but it does tell us overall how people feel about it. Um, but what gives us more of an insight is the demographics of people who oppose and favor it. 
So of the men in the U.S., 45% of them oppose raising the minimum wage, and 55% of them favor it. Meanwhile, for women, 32% oppose and 67% favor, which besides being reasonable, given that women are the more affected uh, are the more affected sex, this also shows that at least in our culture, women are way more empathic and reasonable. Which, Jesus Christ. We really fucked up the socialization of people because, like, we've put a whole lot of responsibility on women and, like, people who are uh, who are non-binary to be, like, always at peak performance and always vigilant that someone's going to try to fucking kill them. And, like, men, we tell them boys will be boys until they're about 24 and they're like, well, you should probably have a job now and, you know, be supporting a family. Like, man, we fucked up everybody. Anyways, that's not this episode. Um, so racially, 48% of white people, 11% of black people, 23% of Hispanic people, and 26% of Asian people oppose raising minimum wage. And 51% of white people, 88% of black people, 76% of Hispanic people, and 73% of Asian people favor it. Which, again, every white people are reasonable. I've lived as a... I've lived as a white person long enough to recognize that we're the most unreasonable group of people on the planet. Shut the fuck up, phone. As you can tell. Uh, Age-wise, and expectedly, only about 32% of 18 to 29-year-olds oppose raising minimum wage, and 68% are in favor. Uh, 36% of 30 to 49-year-olds oppose it, and 63% are in favor. Again, not super surprising. 40% of 50 to 64-year-olds oppose it, and 60% are in favor. And finally, 43% of 65 and older are opposed, and 56% are against. And the only part of this that is surprising is how low the numbers are. Oh my fucking god, phone. I expected for a lot more people to be opposed to minimum wage increases, given how controversial it often seems. But like a lot of things nowadays, it's basically just rich dudes puppeting some dumb brokies who oppose their own best interests. Oh, if you oppose uh, increased minimum wage and you are poor, you have someone's hand in your ass. Yeah. Yeah, you heard that homophobic fucking minimum wage worker that thinks they're better than me? Uh-huh. That someone has their fingers in your butt, and it's a man. Um... <laughs> Uh, sorry. Oh, why that tickled me so much. Um, the next demo is income levels. 27% of low-income people are opposed. Uh, good class consciousness there, guys. High five. And 72% are in favor because, obviously, phone, shut the fuck up. I, I should just mute my phone. Okay, well, um... of the middle class oppose and 58% favor. And surprisingly, only 44% of rich people oppose raising minimum wage, the highest income demographic against it. And again, surprisingly, 56% are in favor. And finally, dividing this politically, only 12% of leftists, and unsurprisingly, 71% of conservatives don't want this. Which, holy shit, again, talk about voting against your own best interests. 25% 
28% of conservatives want the minimum wage raised, and 87% of leftists do, obviously. So taking all these together, we get a picture of who's in favor and who opposes. Doing some Frankensteining and ignoring the screws of pain from amalgamated monstrosities, we get a good picture of what the average oppositional person looks like. They're an old white man that makes a lot of money as conservative. Not a surprise. And the person in favor is most likely to be a young black woman that doesn't make much money and is left-leaning. Fucking wild, right? Groundbreaking information. But, I mean, anyways, that's the data for you. So what do we do about this? What's the solution? Easy. We raise minimum wage. Will that happen, despite literally every demographic of Americans wanting it? Fuck no, and fuck you for suggesting it. Why? Well, because the companies that stand to make money off of low minimum wage have the money to pay people off. But that's more for the soapbox, so let's go over there. Speaking as someone who has worked minimum wage and also above minimum wage, I, I fucking hate it. Because I have the luxury of living with my parents for a low rent. But not everyone has that luxury. And even when I was working retail for minimum wage, I recognized that if it weren't for that luxury, I wouldn't be able to afford so much as food. I was making nearly $200 a week for 30 hours of work. I was working almost full-time hours and still was barely making enough to make it one week without a negative balance. And having worked jobs that pay above minimum wage, I hate that people say, oh, just bootstrap and suck it up. They're always hiring. Because they're always hiring because of a high turnover. Think about it. Places like Amazon pay well and have good benefits. Why? Well, because they'll abuse your break times, count your bathroom breaks against your time off, force you to come in sick, and track your value by metric of how much you clear per shift and nothing else with no context considered. And a lot of times their management are hard asses that, like, really seem down to die for the cause. I mean, the jobs that I've worked, I can barely stand. I mean, even the one I work now is really rough on me physically. So imagining people that don't have the same capacity as me trying to work them sucks. And that assumes that those jobs are even available. For a lot of people, they just literally are not available at all. So obviously, I think we need to raise the minimum wage. And honestly, I'm in favor of, rather than it being set across the board, have it be the, as the same number that it should be based off the cost of living of where you live. I know that sounds complicated, but calm down and hold on. Make it, like, statewide unless the place you live is extremely expensive for some reason. Because the original intention, as we've seen in the history, was for it to be able to support a family. If not in full, then at least enough for two working adults could work a single minimum wage job each and afford having an actual life. It's also meant to make sure that people who are working are able to advocate for themselves and are protected from wage slavery, which isn't happening. Do I think it will ever happen? No, absolutely not. Because corporations benefit from wage slavery. Keeping workers both exceptionally poor and dependent on them means that they can force them to continue working for them under terrible conditions and keep increasing their executive wages. And look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, it will 100% end up killing the entire country and causing a ton of suffering along the way if 
the fucking environment doesn't collapse first. Or, you know, we have a communist, fascist civil war. And I'm on the side of the communists, because, I mean, fuck, man. At that point, like, whose side are you on? But, you know, before I say anything else, they'll get me in trouble with the uh, certain three-letter agencies. Let's get you out of here. And episode 17 is done. Uh, kind of short for a weight hat episode, but the nerd episode is probably going to be a bit longer this week. But anyways, we have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, what you think the minimum weight should be, what you want to do to the executives and CEOs in Minecraft, obviously, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at weighthatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. Remember to check out my other podcast, Wait Hat Nerd, where I do basically the same thing with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc., where I hope you will like the topic just as much. Also remember to follow me on Twitter at WaitHat underscore pods for more episode announcements. And like, I'm not good at the whole social media thing, so maybe if you uh, have some pointers, um, I'll post more stuff if you know, I figure it out. But anyways, have a good night. Don't murder. Have fun, and remember, abolish tip professions and pay people what they're fucking worth. This has been Why You're Talking About This. I've been your host, William. Good night.